1948, the people in the British colony of Newfoundland faced a choice. They could become an independent dominion within the British Empire, or they could vote to join Canada in Confederation. The anti-Confederates are not going to get away with it. But St. John's was an anti-Confederate headquarters. Watch in particular the attractive bait which will be held out to lure our country into the Canadian mousetrap. Listen to the Stories Behind the History podcast for our special series, How Did Newfoundland Join Canada? Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Today on International Women's Day, we want to shout out the women who often don't win awards, but affect our lives in big, big ways. Today's shout out goes out to your grandma. That's right. We asked people how their grandmothers impacted their lives and a bit about their history. We heard more wonderful stories than we could include in this month's special shout out. Here are just some of the amazing matriarchs that are legends to their families, communities and descendants. Cheers to all the grandmas rooted in this land and all over the world. Her story matters. Hi, my name is Margarita Valderrama, and my grandma, or my abuelita, was Elda Gutierrez de Medina. She was born in 1927 in Colombia, and, uh, you know, that was quite a time to be a woman. I think what was most astounding to me was when she would tell me stories of you know her having to have a chaperone wherever she went and the fact that you know neighbors would gossip about you if you got home past 8 p.m and that basically if you wanted to have a life that was truly your own you had to get married it was the only way that you could get out of your family home and really start being independent which was so shocking to me now and yet here was this person just two generations away from me that experienced this. I think what I admire most about my grandma was her ability to always always be grateful and positive. She was a widow quite early. She always talks about my grandfather as the love of her life and even that uh, you know her family, her kids, her grandkids filled her life with so much joy. We left Columbia uh, when I was seven. She always followed us and she always did her best to stay with us at least six months at a time wherever we were, whether it was Buenos Aires or Mexico City or Toronto, where she didn't even speak English. Um, She made sure to be in our lives and as someone who, I don't know, feels like her heart is both in Colombia and in Canada. Uh, It is incredibly important to have a strong connection to my family back home. And she made sure I always had that. She made sure we all knew what it was like to have unconditional love. And I know she won't get her own history book. I know she didn't win any awards, but... Man, I don't know where I'd be without her. Te quiero mucho, mi abuelita. My name is Rohit Joseph, and I want to talk about my ama, as I like to call her. The thing about ama is she lives in India. Uh, she's in her 80s now. From a young age, as soon as I visited her, she always showed me the importance of recycling and just not wasting anything. 
in India back in the 90s, in Bangalore particularly, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, recycling systems set up. It's not like anything we have here in Vancouver. She made it happen in her community in Bangalore. I mean, you're teaching people that are used to seeing garbage just thrown on the side of the road. But she had the patience and the persistence to to make recycling a thing in her community. Uh, and then, you know, even to this day, Amma will still take public transit. And trust me, public transit in Bangalore is is chaos. She really does care about the the community that she lives in. She tries to make sure that, you know, anything like potholes or, uh, you know, recycling garbage, whatever it is, uh, gets taken care of. And she will hound city officials to make sure it happens. And that has carried over to me in, in a small way. Just for me, being a journalist, I try to look at those issues and try to see what are people caring about? What can I do to, you know, uh, share that story and make sure that their voices get heard. And it all started uh, with my Amma. Hi, Secret Life of Canada. This is Adam Carrier calling from Treaty 6 Territory, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. As a Métis man, my family tree is full of nameless Indigenous women who lost their status and their spot in history. I'd like to give a shout out to all of Canada's forgotten grandmothers. Thank you. Tineke. I am just sending you a little voice memo about my granny, Helen Robitaille. She uh, was an amazing woman. She passed away last year. You know, she's kind of like the typical uh, French-Canadian grandmother. Uh, you know, she had 13 children. Uh, she had, I think th- I think she had 38 great-grandchildren. Uh, I think she's in the 30s for the great-grandchildren already. She was in the 30s before she passed away last year. Um, you know, she was married at 14 years old, had her first kid at 15 years old. These are the kinds of stories that a lot of French Canadian women had as a life. Had to quit school, started raising children uh, by 20, um, had six kids, including a set of twins, and then continued on to have children for the next, oh gosh, like 20 years, right? So that was Helen Robitaille. She was a wonderful woman. We all loved her. Hi, my name's Alexa. My grandmother, or my babchi, came over from Ukraine when she was very young with her husband. She grew up in Russian-occupied Ukraine and was forced out of her home. She spent some of her life living in the woods, just hiding from the Russian militia and pretty much just trying to survive The stories that I have heard from her are both bone-chilling and so inspirational and just really puts life into perspective, you know, life in Canada in particular. She's an incredible woman, and it's really sad that her story might not get told. My grandma was born in 1905 and grew up on the prairies during the Dust Bowl, the ten lost years. Her father was a school superintendent who encouraged her interest in medicine, and she graduated from the University of Manitoba in 1934. She met my grandfather at med school, and he appreciated her medical know-how as an aid to his pediatrician work, but he did not want her to practice outside the home, possibly because his own mother had been away singing in vaudeville when he was little. Once the children were grown, she wanted to practice again, but he thought her knowledge would be too out of date. After he died, she was hired anyway to teach anatomy at the community college. 
She was a very practical person who spoke truth to power. As an intern in the ER, she once diagnosed a child with hereditary syphilis and wouldn't buckle to pressure to keep this quiet, since the kid's father was a prominent judge, because it was a textbook case that she felt should be noted. My granny was born in 1903 and determined from an early age to be a sculptor. She was top of her class at what later became Ontario College of Art and Design. The Toronto School Board was worried about hiring her because she might be taking a job away from a family man until they were bowled over by her skill, far above anyone else they were considering. When she later became pregnant with my mother, she had to take a year off and keep it such a secret that many friends didn't know until the baby was a few months old. She taught art at the Central Technical School for over 30 years, while continuing to produce her own sculpture in the form of islands and landscapes, she was the sculptural equivalent of the Group of Seven's painters, commissioned portraits, and one of Canada's largest war memorials in Welland, Ontario. She was also a prolific advocate for the arts in Canada, serving as a Canadian delegate to the formation of UNESCO and helping to form the Canada Arts Council. She sculpted Canada's tribute medal to JFK after his assassination. She died relatively young, but I knew her when I was a little girl, and it was she who recommended getting my sisters and me into nursery school to start on our education right away. My name is Christine Pagalayan. My maternal grandmother's name was Consuelo Ingente Cueto Ocredo. I don't know much about her childhood, but when she was a young woman, she got married and had four children in the Philippines. From what I know, she was a stay-at-home mom with a relatively uneventful home life. Then World War II began. Japanese soldiers took her husband, along with all the men in their village. She spent the war raising her young kids. When the war was over, she searched for months with other wives whose husbands were taken. She found no trace of him, and was now left with four kids and nothing else. She bought a tiny space so that she could run her own business, a corner store, to support her family. That's where she met a traveling salesman, who became her second husband, my grandfather. They had three children, including my mother. The marriage wasn't great, and my grandma became a single mom again. She used the money from her store to buy homes for and support her seven children. She then immigrated to Canada with my mother in the 70s. There, she raised tons of grandchildren and great-grandchildren who adored her. She was the strongest, toughest, kindest, and most amazing woman I've ever known. With my parents working at all hours of the day to provide for us, she basically raised me until she died when I was 13. I called her Nanai, which means mother in Tagalog. Everything I am today is because of her. I recently just became a mom, and I can only hope to raise my daughter to be the strong, independent, kind, badass that my grandmother was. My grandmother was born in Canada and lived her early years in Georgetown outside of Toronto where they ran a home for men returning from World War I. She had five brothers and one sister. My grandmother, Rose Rockland, was one of the younger children. The older siblings were all born in Russia and left during the pogroms to escape persecution, a story of most Jewish people in North America. I often hear people speak about people having old souls, meaning they've lived another life, wise beyond their years. I think my grandmother was different. She was wise for certain, but she was also a woman born before her time. She would make her own clothes, and I have yet to meet anyone who could bake or cook like she did. I don't know what she ate all week, but on Friday nights, she would have had all of us over, and it was always a feast. She did everything for everyone other than herself, always. You want a cherry pie? Done. You want lemon meringue? Done. Whatever we wanted, she made. It didn't matter how much. 
She would always let us sleep over at her apartment and spend the whole weekend if we wanted. She lived in an apartment across from a mall and would send my grandfather over to get us bubbles or crayons or whatever we wanted as long as it was from Kmart. One of my favorite activities were the tea parties with her fancy china cups. My sisters and I each had our own special cup. She would never put a tea bag directly in the cup, but would boil the water and put it in the teapot to steep. She would give each of us a fancy sugar cube that had flowers on top, and as the sugar melted, the flower would float to the surface. The best days were the days that were warm, where we could go down to her apartment swimming pool. We'd get all wrapped up in our towel ponchos and wear it down to the pool, and when we came back, we would have lunch on the balcony, which was always leftover turkey salad sandwiches on Hella from the night before. She would tell us that she was rich because of us. Our love made her the richest woman in the world. She would brag to strangers when she took us to the X every summer that she could bring all five of us lined up like the Von Trapp family singers and that we never littered and always behaved. She loved us dearly. She was dynamic, talented, and witty. One day before she passed, I went to visit her. When I got to her room, she was sitting on the toilet with the door open. This was out of character for her. I asked her if she was okay and she snapped at me. Of course I'm not okay. I shit my bed. This was it. A woman who, no matter what her struggles were, would always be proud and hold herself up. Was now crumpled over a toilet seat, holding her head in her hands, and she didn't look up at me. She must have known the end was near. I don't remember thinking that, but I knew it was significant. I knew she had changed. I had a dream once that she was still alive. I was apologizing profusely, telling her that if I'd only known she was alive, I would have called and come to visit. But then I woke up and she was gone again. And I wasn't mistaken. She really had died when I was 18. And I was more afraid of making my boyfriend angry than being there for her. And I stayed at his apartment and didn't sit by her bedside when she was dying. So even though I only had her in my life for 18 years, I carry with her every day of my life. My daughter bears her name and her spirit. I try to honor her in the way that I live and care for the people. And I can truly say, to quote Ann Patchett, that I felt certain that this had been one of the greatest loves of my life. I love you, Grammy. Shout out to all the grannies and totas. Omas, lolas, and nanas, we love you. We do, we really do. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.